It's 1990 again. And that was Lost in the Twilight Hall from Blind Guardian's Tales from the Twilight World. Well, Kai Hansen to wake you up wherever you're at, whatever oh. time it is. Oh, yeah. That's a uh, that's a barn burner right there, man. Mm-hmm. It's a, kind of the introduction of modern power metal, in a sense. You know, kind of came off of this record. You know, Blind Guardian had, had a couple of records prior to this. Uh, and then we know, got a glut of garbage. Yeah. Except for Primal Fear, Primal Fear, which is a masterpiece. Well, yeah, well, you know, I mean, you had a couple Halloween records in the 80s that were, were pretty tolerable, and then um, then this, in a way, started the slow birth of power metal that kind of peaked by the end of the decade. Ah, Rhapsody so. and all those kind of uh, things oh, yes. that we could have lived without. Uh, Nocturnal Rites, uh, Hammerfall. But uh, Blind Guardian sits at the top of the heap, and we talked about that. Back in the 1995 show that we did, when we uh, kind of highlighted Imaginations from the other side, I think this is uh, this and Imaginations are probably their two best records from from top to bottom. You know, pretty I'm pretty close. partial to the first two as well. All right, well, I like first the, two are I like great. The Barbarian kind of like cover and the thrash, and the, uh, thrash, uh, Mr. Thrash. Sandman. You know, well, but that was on uh, 
Mr. Sandman was on the um that collection of like weird B-sides and stuff like that. Oh, that's right. Yeah. The Bar Brand was on uh which one was that? That was on Follow the uh, Blind. Follow the Blind. I think, okay. So. Yeah, but anyways, this is not harmonized. It is not a Blind Guardian <laughs> show, but we we decided to kick off uh, 1990 in style with uh, energy and, and pizzazz because we're gonna take it down a little bit. Yeah, we are. We're gonna get a little sensitive, a little uh, a little. I don't want to say grungy, but definitely darker, slower, churning kind of songs uh, here in a little bit. But uh, well, 1990 is a very transitional year. Thrash is uh, slowly petering out it as is. we know it, and, but uh, but it will be a peak year for Thrash, and then it yeah. kind of starts the the decline from here, you know. But yeah, after 1990, Thrash is pretty much all, for as a scene, it's pretty much done. Outside of you know a handful of bands that are sure. still putting out you know decent stuff, but and it's oddly a quiet year for death metal, even though 88 and 89 were so like explosive with the birth of sort of death metal in America and in yeah. England and, and a little bit in Sweden, but we'll, we'll talk more about the Sweden thing later. But it was a relatively quiet year for, for some of the extreme stuff. So this is really sort of the last show for Thrash and also kind of the introduction of the, I think, the templates that are going to dominate the popular side of, of 90s metal, which mm-hmm. is, you know, the grunge stuff, the stoner metal, more the doomier stuff, you know. It's almost like they've, you know, within the popular context, Metallica and Slayer and, and Testament and Megadeth have taken speed to, like, its furthest commercial place. And now yeah. everything has to almost sort of, you know, go backwards, you know. Well, and, yeah, the 90s we see a Ugh, it was. A, I mean, it's. A, it's. I guess it's a period of a lot of experimentation and people wanting to to grow outside of their genre constraints. Yeah. So we get to see uh, you know new metal come and go. Quite Which is quickly. more the la- the later half of the nineties. Yeah. Know? So I think up until like I think ninety five is the kind of like the petering point to where stuff either you know you've got you know like bands that basically have, you know like Vader that have basically done a permutation of. Yeah, one record their or entire career, like both or Yeah, but then yeah, you've got your My Dang Brides and you know all those that, that have gone through their Paradise Lost, their ups stuff. and downs. Sure. But yeah, this is I think up until '95. That's like just like a huge amount of creativity. Yeah, and that's why we chose '95 as one of our, our crucial years earlier. And we've made it to episode 99, if you've been keeping track. And this is, uh, in our humblest opinions, uh, probably the second greatest uh, year in metal. Um, although, on any given day, yeah, I think it can be kind of interchangeable. But, yeah. but uh, definitely a standout year, 90. You know, and you can't, you, you wouldn't, you can't get a better year in terms of thrash outside of maybe 86. Those two years, I think, compete a little bit. Well, this was a huge year for me buying tapes. I'll tell oh, you that for sure, for sure, without a doubt. You know, so there uh, there's some crazy monsters in the background uh, trying to get out, probably because they know Danzig's on the way. But in 1990, some records that we unfortunately don't have time to get to, but we should probably, you know, kind of highlight that we're kind of in the more traditional metal realm, uh, which is where we're going to kind of start the show as we sort of transition towards the more extreme side. Bruce Dickinson's um, Tattooed Millionaire, a yeah. very overlooked album, I think. Everybody you're, should go out and buy it you're if you're a big fan. fan. And we fan. we highlighted Dickinson's solo career on an episode, actually. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Queensryche Empire, which was a big commercial success for those guys. Uh, Iron Maidens, No Prayer for the Dying, kind of a, a weak release. One but, of their uh, worst records next to Virtual Eleven, I would yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bring Your Daughter to Slaughter, wasn't that the the big song off that record no that's not fear of the dark are you sure is it really yeah wow then that record really is horrible because i thought like that might like have been, no like, this had like running song. silent running deep it had, there wasn't a whole lot of good songs oh, on that okay. record. yikes yeah because that bring your daughter <laughs> slaughters from uh dream child 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. from uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, I think. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Eisters, uh, self-titled debut, um, Suicidal Tendencies, Light Camera Revolution, Prongs Beg to Differ, the self-titled from Godflesh, the second record they put out, actually. Solitude Eternus' debut, Into the Depths of Sorrow, Dio, Lock Up the Wolves, kind of a, eh, again, kind of like Maiden's No Prayer for the Dying, kind of a forgettable Dio. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, a record, uh, two records that I'll mention only because of what we're going to eventually get into in this next next set, which is kind of more sort of slowed down, doomier, sledgier type stuff, is the debut from Paradise Lost, Lost Paradise, and Winters Into Darkness. And I guess we should you know maybe mention what these two records meant because they were really anomalies in the midst of a lot of other things happening. You know, Lost Paradise yeah. was like a Death Doom record, which Death Doom really. It didn't wasn't exist really at that around. Time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you had Candlemas, but you didn't have anybody singing with guttural vocals. Yeah, exactly. Or this heavy, yeah. you know, kind of guitars outside of uh, Dream Death from from Pittsburgh, which became Penance. You know, but that which was more is a of totally like a different Rhea type of style yeah. singing. You know, that's more thrash going on. And then like Winter is kind of like a just a weird band upon themselves. Like, it's like utter despair. You know, yeah. like uh, almost pre neurosis, pre grief, pre. Uh, Pre-force of equilibrium, Mind rot. yeah, yeah, yeah they had like that, that kind of like vibe. Well, didn't I'm trying to think of band members from Winter. Well, now. Well, Scott Lewis. Was oh, he went on to go to Brutal Truth. Truth, and then Scott Lewis and Winter did the cover for Disrupt. Unrest. I believe Unrest. Yeah, he did the collage thing there. So uh, again, kind of a weird band that uh, an anomaly. The original you know? collage. Yeah, yeah, the original class, not, not the remastered uh, one that Relapse just put out. But, you know, so those were kind of some oddball records. But again, in the traditional metal sense, it was a pretty solid year. But as we're going to kind of talk about, or you're going to hear in this next set, you had bands that were starting to push the edges of innovation, but but kind of doing it within the main, mainstream. And mm-hmm. I guess the first band that we'll, we should talk about for a second is Danzig. Danzig uh, 2, Danzig Lucifuge. Lucifuge, yeah. Refuge yeah. for the Devil. And, uh, you know, Mark and I have been rocking out quite a bit of Danzig this summer because uh, the new record oh, is yeah. solid. It's it's really good. Definitely one of the year's best uh, traditional metal records. But this record is um, a little bit different than the debut. It's much more uh, blues-based, mm-hmm. I would say. It's much more stripped down and not quite as... Uh, I don't know. I think it's got more... Because I think, you know, Danzig 1, it's pretty... It's pretty streamlined as far as there's not a whole lot of variation. There's like a a good formula they got to you know the sound of the record, but this is kind of all over the place. You've got yeah. you know Killer Wolf and the song we're gonna be playing, Blood and Tears, yeah. which is almost like a Roy Orbison meets Elvis meets sure, definitely uh, a tearjerker uh, almost you know. yeah. And he, he really belts it out. It kind of shows the the level of his singing ability and stuff too. But then you got kind of barn burners like you know uh, Long Way, Back Long Way Back from Hell, from hell. and uh, you know Her Black Wings. Kind Devil's of Play thing is a great song yeah. too. Yeah, is it's a little a... it's a little more. Um, it almost seems like the guitars pulled back a little bit on the record. It's yeah. more of a vocal kind of centerpiece, I think, this time. Sure, but I mean, he he again is now with Danzig two kind of really establishing himself as a as a big figure in in mm-hmm. metal. You know, yeah, big personality. Fronts. And uh, and then we're going to kind of transition from that to another band that was kind of... Speaking again, of Wolves. Speaking of Wolves, <laughs> we've got The Wolf from uh, Trouble's Trouble. And this is a record that was hard to come by, and I've had it for a couple of years um, on my computer, 
but I only recently was able to uh, extract the record from eBay. It was a kind of a nice, uh, a moral victory because it's on the same label as Danzig too, mm-hmm. Deaf American. It was a Rick Rubin signing, and of course Trouble, who I've mistakenly referred to as being from Pittsburgh. Uh, thank you for the the correction on that one. They're actually from Chicago. I think I keep getting them mixed up with the whole Pittsburgh doom scene with Penance and Dream Death, and for some reason, there you I, go. I don't know. Iron Man, I think was a lot from of stuff Pittsburgh. Keep, you know, to keep straight. It, it's, it gets tough, and when we talk out of our ass a lot. Sometimes yeah. the, the facts. Well, it's kinda, all out of memory. It's not. We don't necessarily have time to print out stuff yeah, on every single yeah, it's, band. It's so. something like I read three weeks ago, and you know whatever. Mm-hmm. But but this record is different than the troubles we played back on the '84 show and the '85 show. This is more in the the, the tradition that's going to dominate the '90s with bands like Caius and Monster Magnet. Mm-hmm. It's more out of the. I, and I hate using the term. We'll call it doom rock, but but yeah. some people refer to it as stoner rock. I guess there's a. It's just it's rock and roll. It's a yeah. rock and roll resurgence, as For far sure. as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's Stoner Rock's such a terrible name. I guess it has its roots in some of the late '60s, '70s type of psychedelia. Sound. Yeah, the, some of the psychedelia, and definitely Trouble uh, has been known to uh, partake, throw favor to the <laughs> to the ganj a little bit. So I, I can see that connotations. But the Wolf is a, a pretty rock and tune. I think is one of the more underrated uh, records, and I, I know there's some people that have called it one of the. The, the the you know greatest rock records that nobody knows about. Oh, you it know? came out in a bad year for that sound, and then it was never ever pushed again. No, and it was really hard to find. It's been mm-hmm. kind of out of print, you know. And so, hopefully, if you've never heard this era of trouble, this will be a, a nice discovery for uh, for those of you out there, you know, listening. And then we're going to kind of transition into two bands that will uh, will utterly dominate the the first half of the '90s: um, Alice in Chains and Pantera. And Alice in Chains uh, kind of falls more similar, I guess, into what Trouble and Danzig were doing, which was coming out of the more Sabbath, blues-based, you know, mm-hmm. type doom, doom sludge kind of sound. Well, they've got thrash riffs. The only thing that really differentiates them is Lane Staley's vocals. Sure, yeah. you know, which yeah. was kind of funny that nobody caught on to that. I know. It's like these guys kind of look like a thrash band, except for this one dude. Yeah, you know, yep. they sound like one. They've and because they, they hailed from Seattle, you know, a year later when Nirvana comes out, it basically drags any band that was even within, remotely, yeah, yeah close late to, to the that. Scene. And so suddenly, Alice in Chains is a grunge band, not a metal band, and they're alternative. You know, but yeah, whatever. They made great records, and uh, they were definitely a, a big fixture in my childhood. You know, uh, I mowed a lot of lawns to this record, as I as I like to say. Uh, that's almost a throwback to Metal Manu. I know. This, this, this record really mows dark, dark some grass. Really mows some grass, yeah. <laughs> Manu, hopefully you're listening out there somewhere, downloading our podcast. And then uh, Pantera, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about when we come back, because Pantera um, is sort of the, the bridge between the 90s metal and thrash, in a way, the sort of dying movement of thrash. They're kind of almost the torchbearers, I think, of that kind of yeah. fast yeah. You know, breakdown, but they do it in their own kind the chunk, of way. Chunk thing. I yeah. mean, they they started something pretty innovative, but it ended up culminating into utter garbage. Sure, so. and it really influenced a lot of garbage bands. <sighs> Hell yeah! Hell yeah! <laughs> so on that note, uh, we've got Danzig, uh, Blood and Tears on the way. Trouble, The Wolf, and from Facelift, the debut from Alice in Chains. We have We Die Young. Uh, kind of a, a statement, I think, of the '90s and of I guess the grunge scene. Generation next way. Yeah, it was sort of a generational <laughs> statement. Um, and then Pantera's Domination from Cowboys from Hell, and then we'll end with a, uh, a nice surprise for you. So. But you should know off the first note. Yeah, you should. You should. Enjoy Blood and Tears. Since you've been gone I hear you 
from Slayers, Season of the Abyss. And uh, Domination from Pantera, We Die Young, Alice in Chains, Troubles the Wolf, and then Blood and Tears from uh, Mr. Glenn. Um, so obviously, you know, all of you know Slayer. Um, and all of you know how great of a record Season of the Abyss is. I mean, uh, along with Cowboys from Hell, these were, were you know, two kind of almost everybody owned these records probably if you were... Uh, well, this was uh, the year of the Slayer Blood Pack, too. Oh, yes. Which has a great version of Season of the Abyss with some... With cellos. Oh, yeah, cellos yeah. and stuff in the background. The only Beaumont thing is the... Uh, the, the blood dried. Yeah, anybody... I know one person that still has one that the blood's still in good shape. Really? Mine? Yeah. Mine's okay. Mine's oh, okay. Yeah. I don't have it, so I never yeah, bought it. Show you. It was I, at the register for 10 bucks. and I was like, for a single? I think that was uh, one that I begged Chris. Chris had it for a long time, yeah. and he knew what a big Slayer fan I was, and he eventually, I don't know, we worked out some kind of trade. I, I'm not for sure what I... What, what, Try trade a Rhapsody my, CD my or first something. child I sold or something like that. But what's interesting about that song, I was just telling Mark this, and I, I don't think you knew this, mm-hmm. uh, Born of Fire was a, a leftover song from the Rain and Blood sessions, and hence, I think that's why it has a little bit more... Uh, Intensity than some of the other songs on the record. Yeah, um, it's a little more straightforward too. Sure, and it's it's got a little more snap and punch to it, kind of like Rain and Blood did. Mm-hmm. Not that you know that that's the reason I picked it. I picked it because it's a, a great song. But um, you know, this record seasons was in a way kind of the the peak of the Slayer evolution. You know, um, I think it's where they had to go. You know, they had done the fast thing. They had kind of done the the sort of slow, despairing type stuff with uh, South, South of Heaven. Heaven. Yeah. And this is sort of a combination of the two styles, but it's it's a combination plus it's more refined and it's more commercial. And this this album almost went platinum, um, which is, is is really hard to believe. But I mean, you know, this is a this is a record that kind of changed things for, for my group of friends because we would watch Headbangers Ball and see those Seasons in the Abyss uh, and the War Ensemble videos mm-hmm. constantly. And that was what sort of got us to, you know, have the bravery to go out and buy, you know, Slate Records. Yeah. You know, and I think the first thing I bought was, uh, I couldn't find this at the record store that I went to and I really wanted to buy Slayer, so I ended up buying Decade of Aggression, which I guess in a way is like a greatest hits, you know, because the live record, you know. Yeah, live records I wouldn't recommend as your first record by a band but unless it's but, uh, but slayer unleashed in the east for priest yeah, that's true <laughs> but slayer pulls off a pretty good live show, oh yeah it's a know? good you get a little bit of the crowd banter so you get a i guess a kind of a feeling of what the guys are like you plus know? at that point so you got going down you know give them a hand all right <laughs> give them a hand yeah there's a little song called uh but the thing that was nice about that is i think at that point the metal blade records were hard to find they weren't like readily available just at any record store. You had to go. Yeah, they, some they reissued shops. them shortly after that. I, believe. I think so. So that was the only place, like for my group of friends, that we could hear the Antichrist and Hell Awaits and things like that. So mm-hmm. it was kind of nice. But I think that came out in '91. So I don't even know why I'm talking about Decade of Aggression. But Seasons. I mean, this was probably right around the time when you were starting to buy stuff, right? 1990. You were probably, a little before that, but yeah. You, this mean, was the first Slayer record I think I bought. Did you? Yeah. yeah. Because I had, well, I had, it was back in, you know, the days of tape trading and making ta- mixtapes for people and all that kind of stuff. So I had a ton of stuff on tape, but not necessarily buying it because it was, and at this point, tapes were still kind of untested as far as like, you know, should I wait and get it on CD? It's like five bucks more on CD. But then, yeah, that was that, that bad road everybody went down with like, oh, yeah. dude, I got like 185 tapes. What do I do with these now? I had 350. I was in rough shape. I mean, I was I was a Columbia House whore. 
for, oh, yeah, for yeah. like four years. That's how I got all know? my Danzigs. That's how I filled in my Slayer catalog. Yeah, Slayer. Yeah. You name it. Panteras. I'm yeah, the bo- cat had accounts at certain points. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that makes Cornelius me, Rudolph. That makes me think of a, uh, a buddy of ours named named Dan Timlin. He he had like seven or eight different things going. They're not going to come down with the yeah. So, but uh, you know this this and that Pantera song that we we just heard as well, Domination. Um, again, they're starting. You're starting to see what thrash was evolving to in 1990. It mm-hmm. was. Um, it was complex. It was epic. You know, it started in a way with with Injustice for All, and it kind of went yeah. from there. It showed people you could have stuff on the radio that was eight or nine minutes long, like one and things. Sure, like that. yeah, and I mean, seasons. The title track it was you know five six minutes long. You know, and in a way, I think you know this this kind of commercialization of thrash without losing its integrity. At this point, it hasn't gotten to like you know load and and youth uh, euthanasia and countdown to extinction. Some of those realms were. It's kind of hit or miss. It's very questionable. I think it influenced some of the older bands to embrace a more heavy sound. And mm-hmm. obviously, you know, the band that, that probably is most evident of that, especially in 1990s, is Priest. Priest, the last record with Halford they did. Yeah. Well, wow. of this era. Well, of this era, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, because Ram It Down had some, they were leaning back toward the more metallic edge, but this is one they just kind of like. Actually, uh, yeah, like they actually gave a lot of the the younger bands like a run for their money as far as like you know speed and just sonic brutality kind of thing. Sure, and the the new drummer was it Scott Travis? Scott Travis, yeah, yeah and, and I mean he's he's kind of he's a, a game changer. changer. Yeah, he's a game yeah. changer on Painkiller, and you know Painkiller. I think for a long time I just thought it was later era Judas Priest. I didn't hear this record for years. It wasn't until Sound of Perseverance. Oh, really? It wasn't until Sound of Perseverance all the time. It wasn't painkiller. It, it wasn't in our era. Huh. We started watching Headbangers like late '91, early '92. So I think okay. it had probably played itself out. You yeah, know? yeah. I mean, I caught a, a couple Headbangers here and there, but I was shoot, man, 1990. I was in like fifth grade. I don't know if I really knew. I didn't have cable, to, so to stay like, awake at that. Yeah, point. I was like hanging out at Chris's house, and his mom would be yelling at us to shut the TV <laughs> off. No, man, it's you know the Napalm you know, stuff for the children video is coming on next. Yeah, exactly. But you know, so for me, it was it was odd. I always thought, uh, you know, people talked about Painkiller being heavy, but I kind of looked at the cover, you know, and the cover it's doesn't pretty throwback. It's yeah. for, you know, coming out in this era, it doesn't necessarily, you know, harken like, oh, this is something cool and relevant. But then when you put it on, I mean, it's yeah, from it's start fantastic. to finish, it's a it's a great record. And for a lot of Priest fans, this is like the one of their Touch of Evil, dude, their favorite. Yeah, Touch of Evil is one of my favorite <laughs> songs. Unfortunately, it's too long and, and a little too slow, and so we wanted to play something that kind of showed the velocity of of this record. Yeah. You know, and between the hammer and the anvil is, is a pretty uh, pretty solid track. Good meat and potato song, exactly. You know, but again, this is kind of the peak of Priest as well. Some would argue the peak of Slayer. You got the sort of the the last vestige of this era of Priest. Uh, the last vestige of this era of Anthrax as well, Persistence of Time. Yeah, and then the following year we'll have uh, the Black Record, which pretty much puts a nail in the coffin and everything. That was the end of Thrash in a way, in, yeah. you know, 91. But, you know, you have uh, in this next set that we're going to be playing, we're playing, we're going to start with Priest, then we're going to get into Anthrax, Persistence of Time, and Megadeth, Rust in Peace, and uh, Creator's Coma Souls. And I think three things that those records have in common is for a lot of people, not only is it the end of the era, but in a way, for Megadeth and Creator, it's really the end of, of a of a pretty good creative period and the beginning of sort of a drought for a long time, yeah. especially for Creator. Creator, you yeah, know? they have their handful of turds with Renewal and a couple others in that era. And it was just, it, it, I think the whole thing was, okay, we've been, it seems like a lot of these bands are going through this thing where we've been around for 
10 or 15 years, what do we have to do to stay relevant? And instead of just like sticking to their guns, which, you know, bands like Maiden and, you know, have kind of proven over time that that's what people want. Sure. You know, with all this like flux, it's nice to have something that's consistently good. And even Slayer survived doing that as well. And I, I don't want Slayer didn't s- go quite as deep in the, into the, the garbage can as everybody else. No, did. no. And I think the reason I mentioned Seasons being the end of the era is because Lombardo leaves. And, mm-hmm. and it's, so it's the end of the classic lineup. And Lombardo's... But they changed their sound quite a bit, too, on that sure, record. Sure, sure. And Divine Intervention, which is a good record, but it's just different. You know, it's just kind of a different sound. But It um, made me mad at the time, but I'm fine with it. <laughs> now, you, now you like it. But yeah, Persistence of Time, again, similar to Seasons and Injustice and even Rest in Peace in that it was... You know, very epic, longer songs. You mm-hmm. know, everything's you know orchestrated in a way, but it didn't. It wasn't like a prog record necessarily. It was. It was still very thrashy, but it was. But it was intelligent, all full you know? of hits too. There wasn't sure. turd songs. Yeah, like on most of these records, like Coma of Souls, Rust in Peace, Persistence of the Time. Every outside of you know some of the the goofy intermittent stuff yeah, yeah, between well, songs and Anthrax, sure. which is to be expected. But for the most part, they're you know front to back fantastic records. Yeah, and this is your one of your favorite Anthrax records, right? Persistence That's the only one I really ever listened to as a kid. Yeah, yeah. And see, Outside of like Cotton Amash and Indians and stuff. Yeah, but, a couple you know, songs from. I know. I just never thought to go out and buy it. Yeah, it's, it's not, one of those things where you got ten bucks and it's like, hmm, am I going to get a Mordred tape or Anthrax? Huh? I'll get Anthrax. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. And this is uh, this is one of the first Anthraxes I had on tape as well. You know, we listened to God at the time. You know, at the time, I don't think we knew any better. That was kind of like the hit song or whatever. Yeah. But uh, it was a cover, Joe Jackson, I think, something, something like that. Like, yeah, I can't remember offhand. But uh, you know, the last Joey Belladonna record. You know, and uh, then you know, Anthrax with Belladonna and, and John Bush. I don't even want to compare them. They're they're two separate bands. They're two bands. I mean, in a, in yeah. a sense, uh, at this point, even though Scotty Ian is kind of the main personality, I feel like he's he's kind of kind of in balance a little bit with with belladonna in terms of like having influence over the band mm-hmm. and with you know scotty ian i think takes total control as soon as belladonna leaves and bush and look comes where that in takes him and yeah well takes some good places for well, one, if, one bush, and a half records yeah 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 you know, one and a half exactly yeah. stop 242 like has four good songs on it but um yeah, and then of course Megadeth, Rust in Peace, which we've we've uh, done an entire, entire yeah show on. So we don't I don't think we need to no go into too much. But this is the I think this is the only actually worthy record of Megadeth to even buy. Ooh, see, I would I would still throw Peace Cells on that. It's not good all the way through, but it has a good enough has good enough stuff it's about on 60%. it. Sixty percent. It's a sixty forty. Yeah, sixty percent is pretty good. <laughs> Pretty good. That, that won't get you through high school. That's true. Well, I actually, it'll get, skate your body. It might get you a D minus. Yeah, all the way through. I don't know. I, that's debatable. I mean, Rust in Peace is, taste is very easily their their best record. Yeah. You know, uh, and definitely coming off the backs of a kind of an uneven record like um, Killing's uh, My Business. No, Killing's My Business was eighty five. Um, why can't I think of it? So far, so good. So what? <laughs> yeah. You know, which was unfortunately I have that record too. Yeah. It has like three or four good songs on it. It's just it's an uneven record. You yeah. know? This is like a you know very focused. I mean, I think Mustaine was like cleaning up at this point. So either that or he was in the throes of it because it's fantastic. Yeah, I mean his playing is it's like phenomenal, riftastic. Yeah, and we're gonna play uh, some "Take No Prisoners" from this guy, and then from Anthrax's "Persistence of Time," we got "Belly of the Beast." Uh, we'll start things off with Judas Priest, and then from there we'll go into Creators' "Coma of Souls," "People of the Lie," which is. Uh, Anti-Nazi song, basically. Yeah, yeah. 
and kind of a sing-along song. Don't look at me, as yeah. if you didn't know. Exactly. And then we'll end with a, a nice surprise that will sort of transition us uh, near the end. And before I go, I almost uh, forgot. I'm sort of out of favor. I should mention five other big kind of thrash records that came out this year that fit in with all this was Forbidden, Twist It Into Form, which featured uh, a young Paul Bostoff, who would go on and drum for Slayer when Lombardo yes. left. Good record. Destructions, uh, released from Agony. Not a good record. Uh, yeah, yeah, not not great. <laughs> Death Angel Act 3, which is actually pretty solid. Uh, it might be their best from start to finish. Well, and they're like 14, 15 years old, too. So it was, well, this, like, this point, they're like 18. Yeah, but we a, heard about them. That, oh, my oh, God, yeah, yeah. these kids put out this record at this point. And then Testament Souls of Black, which... Uh, I enjoy. You're a pretty good fan of. Yeah. yeah. That one's I'm less familiar with than some of the others. And then Swallowed in Black from Sadis, which is uh, pretty rocking. Uh, so enjoy uh, Between the Hammer and the Anvil from Juice Priest.
was the awakening from sweden's merciless spelled correctly mm-hmm. unlike merciful fate yes <laughs> uh from the awakening and then we of course had creator people alive megadeth take no prisoners anthrax's belly the beast and then started everything off with Judas priest so now we've sort of uh, the torch has been passed from creator who i've always towed the line of kind of being on the extreme end of thrash yeah. to merciless which i think purists Say is say a, a is, thrash is a thrash band, but definitely they're they're pushing the envelope towards. Uh, they're leaning, yeah, more on the death metal side for sure. Towards towards the death metal sound, and again, we're we're sort of in the midst of the birth of death metal at this point. You know, eighty nine, ninety, ninety one, ninety two is kind of like seen as the the classic era. Basically, um, everybody kind of getting their shit together. Demos have finally gotten around, and people are actually getting record deals at this point. Yep, it's kind of the rise of the earaches, the Roadrunners, mm-hmm. uh, even the beginnings, kind of the the early beginnings of you know Century Media's and and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Although it's yeah. really more ninety one, ninety two, but um, you know this was a year that saw uh, Nocturnus, the key, death, spiritual healing, which uh, we had to cut for time, but we've devoted so many shows to death. That it's I got think, such a great cover, it's worth buying it just for it that. It is, it is. Great and, Ed uh, Ripka cover. Great, and, and that's a that's a record where I'd want to play a longer song like Spiritual Healing or something from, which is like eight minutes long. Uh, Master Master, a uh, great yeah. Florida band. Uh, Benediction, Subconscious Terror out of uh, Good Britain. Yeah, yeah, you're a big Benediction fan. Uh, well, it's I'd, the uh, pre-Barney Greenway you know, mouthpiece before Thank he got into Napalm. So Subconscious Terror came out after Harmony Corruption, even though Barney had left prior to that? Uh, he was on the previous, whatever the EP was before. Oh, that, okay, okay. Um, and then Carnage, Dark Recollections, which is... Uh, Mike Mott, uh, Johan Leva. Yeah. 
and uh, half people from Dismember and a couple other dudes. Yeah. And uh, great so, record. So, I, yeah, it's a great collection of, like, things that were, were kind of, a lot of the tracks were kind of sitting around for a few years on mm-hmm. demos and things like that. And a lot of those songs ended up kind of becoming the template for, uh, like, Everflowing Stream. Dismember. A lot of them were Dismember songs, too. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's kind of crazy. But, you know, and then Mott leaves Carnage. That was kind of his band to join Carcass, you mm-hmm. know, uh, for... Uh, after symphonies and yeah so they basically like okay let's not call it carnage anymore let's go back to dismemberizer or yeah. dismember dismemberizer which uh nikki nikki anderson couldn't spell uh he didn't, have enough, paper. didn't have enough room yeah yeah how about just dismember okay <laughs> sounds good you can read all about it in the recent uh, hall of fame and decibel yeah and then cannibal corpse's debut eaten back to life uh mayhem didn't release but they did record live in leipzig uh in this year master's hammer uh ritual weren't they from czech republic it's just uh, yeah, I think so. Real kind of like almost the 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 They're second like se- beginning of the second wave black of metal black stuff. metal. Yeah, yeah, like in between the first and the second wave, and then cadavers hallucinating anxiety. So um, there was you know some other big death metal records coming out, but I would argue, and I think you would agree that that clearly the 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 biggest death metal record that was released this year had a lot to do with uh, Merciless's The Awakening because they also hailed from Sweden. Left hand path, buddy. We did an entire episode on that as well. You should go back and check it out. That we did from um, Entombed. And it's it's hard to uh, under it's it's hard to talk about how important bands like Merciless and Entombed were to the birth of the whole Swedish death metal scene. Uh, if you read the if you get Daniel Ackerath's uh, Swedish death metal book, mm-hmm. I think Merciless and Entombed are probably the two bands he probably talks about the most in the first half of the book. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Merciless is a band most people don't know who the hell they are. Yeah, but if you get a hold unless of you get projection of the stained mind comp or Merciless. The Colored Funeral record went the, to the, Fran- the, French, the French band. Yeah. yeah, stay away from that one. This, this is a different. They've got a cool logo with a bunch of like weird claws and sure. stuff coming out of it. I wouldn't say stay away from Merciless, but it's not this. It's not if you're going in like thinking, oh, this yeah. is some cool Swedish thrash stuff. No, and uh, but Merciless, the the Les. Uh, wait, no, the I band, not the Y band. That's how you. That's yes. how you remember it. The I band, Merciless. Be selfish. The I. Uh, they they had they were kind of the band that I think a lot of the other Swedish bands were kind of like looking up to, you mm-hmm. know, as kind of being the the godfathers of that whole scene. Even though they weren't necessarily putting out death metal records, they were definitely extreme enough and competent enough with their their. They're slightly older kids. Too. Yeah, it wasn't like you know the fourteen year old you know pick up your guitar sure. for the first time stuff. And even though Nikki was listening to a lot of stuff from you know the states and from England, you know Repulsion records and punk records and things like that. I think you know even bands like Merciless and Candlemass were kind of the the tw- the twin towers of of Swedish metal that were influencing young bands like Dismember, Carnage, and and yeah, and complete opposite ends of yeah, the spectrum. Too. Yeah, totally. So, but yeah, in Tomb Left Hand Path, we're gonna hear uh, but life goes on from that record, and then uh, probably the other big death metal record, uh, along with maybe Death's Spiritual Healing of this year, was Obituary's masterpiece uh, Cause of Death, which is kind of really the along with Spiritual Healing, I guess, is the kind of introduction of James Murphy. To, to yeah. sort of the, the the world of extreme metal, and uh, I like his playing probably more on Obituary because he stands out more on that record. Because, oh, completely, because it's just Celtic Frost yeah. riffs, you know, super slow. It's like, I mean the, the Tardies and uh, uh, what is his name, Trevor it's Trevor Pierce, Trevor Pierce, yeah, yeah. Paris or whatever, isn't the most uh, you know technically 
proficient guitarist, but it didn't matter because they made catchier than shit. Oh riffs. man, yeah. And memories remain, which we're gonna play. Uh, is just again, it's just one of several songs we could have pulled off of Cause of Death. Mm-hmm. I mean, the song, the the beautiful thing about Obituary, it's kind of like with Bolt Thrower, or Vader, or whatever is. There's not really a lot of difference between one obituary song Production and another. Production value sometimes. You know, yeah. it's just a catchy riff here or there. They catch a groove. It's like Celtic Frost. Like it's a saying, formula, you know? yeah. And uh, Cause of Death is almost the perfect, I think it's the, the most perfect use of the obituary formula that they mm-hmm. ever are put together. Um, well, because there's lyrics, too. This is true. Yeah, they're not just <laughs> blathering uh, you know, stuff. <laughs> which we'll talk about soon, I think, yes. when we talk about Solo Rot. But... Um, <laughs> This this might have been the lawn mowing record for me because really? I remember getting this cassette tape. Uh, it was used. Mm-hmm. I was on the way uh, to to go get some pizza with my mom. We stopped by New Moon Records where Mark and I worked, and I had been eyeing this used obituary tape. And the cover kind of freaked me out. These are probably all tapes I that I sold. It. Me and Chris oh, sold. I guarantee it was one of your guys's tapes when we made the big transition over. You guys but see, I had a tapes. CD player at the time, but I also but you could use tape for two I bucks. I looked that used tape for two bucks. I was like. And all I had at that point was a was a cassette player for my yeah, my for headphones, you know, and so it worked perfectly, and so that's why, you know, whenever I bought a used cassette like an obituary, it just became a lawn mowing tape, you know. So uh, I I, and the funny thing is, is on cause of death, it has all those like in between things linking all the songs, mm-hmm. and so like when you listen to it on cassette, you have no idea what song is what. Like I yeah. would, I would think for years that certain songs was like body bag. I'm like, oh wait, no, that's part of Infected. Oh my god, you know. So I never knew any of the track names because it just was like one giant bleed of Celtic Frost riffing, you yeah. know. But eh, get some lawn mode quick. It is what it is, you know. But uh, memories remain is is a good tune. And then we're gonna kind of close things out this evening or day, depending on when you're listening to this, with the debut from Deicide. Uh, yeah, day. we almost uh, we almost bookended it with Glens, but we did almost. So then we moved Danzig from uh, the beginning to the second song yeah. but uh this is a different kind of glenn glenn e- benton equally uh equally strange in his the 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 uniqueness of his personality yeah yeah uh burn a upside down cross tattoo in in his head there he was uh yeah, he was very provocative yes he was he liked to although although there wasn't a whole lot of substance beyond it it was more yeah. an image no, and the first couple of DSI records, probably the first three, are, are really pretty, pretty rocking. And mm-hmm. uh, even though I think I looked down on this band for a long time because I kind of thought they were kind of unintelligent compared to what the Swedish stuff and some of the, the things. Well, that, that and was. just the uh, the stage banter and uh, well, and the fans were kind of. And I don't wanna, it, it was a more. If it seemed at the time to be a more of a, a meathead mentality, like you just want to get in the pit and you know, you know, you know, break stuff basically. Sure. And I think out of respect, I was scared of DSide fans, like I was scared of some of the Cannibal fans. They mm-hmm. were just a little too like. Eh, that wasn't like I wasn't into getting the shit kicked out of me in a mosh pit. I, I but the funny to. thing when I, I saw DSide with uh, with Vader and like. 9091 uh-huh. something like that it was the first time Vader came to the states and right before uh, Deicide went on they were like combing their hair up and stuff <laughs> hey rock and roll yeah you had to put on a big show so I guess that's funny that doesn't surprise me in a way you know and they hail along with obituary from from the Florida scene you know and they were part of that whole uh 
Florida thing that was was brewing in the Morris Sound Studios and mm-hmm. stuff, and, and that kind of became the sound of, of American death metal for a long time. Well, and this kind of brought Satanism to the forefront again. You know, after Slayer gave it to us in the 80s, like, Deicide was another big proponent of that, yeah. that I think more vocally than a lot of other Oh, yeah, yeah. Bands. They, were, they were pretty scared. I mean, we were scared of them, you mm-hmm. know, from the second we found Legion, uh, their second record, yeah. like, Satan spawned the Keiko Demon and all this. Yeah, like, <laughs> what the hell are these guys up to? So... But uh, a good, nice trio of, of diverse, uh, all three kind of pers- you know doing a different kind of sound. So, um, but we want to know what you think. Uh, you know, send us an email at requiempodcast at gmail dot com or uh, leave us some uh, info on iTunes. Uh, we've actually yeah, been getting a, a lot of feedback. Rating. That'd be great. Yeah, it'd be cool. And we want to mention that because this is episode ninety nine, and we've got a big one coming up on the horizon. Uh, episode number one hundred and the most got, crucial uh, year in metal. Exactly, we got a contest. Yeah, we uh, don't have exactly. Uh, we don't know exactly what's going to be offered in the goodie bag, but it uh, does involve decibel. Uh, Decibel Magazine. It'll involve uh, several other labels as well. So yeah. there's going to be plenty of crap to give away, but it's not going to be crap. It's going to be good quality yep. stuff albert uh albert the the editor in chief of decibel has assured me he has a couple of ideas that he wants to throw out to us so uh so definitely participate in that uh we'll be posting some information on our, rep, our website requiempodcast.com and also throwing some stuff up on facebook i know a lot of you who out there listening are facebook friends with us so mm-hmm. checks out mark and jason uh that's uh that's our facebook page and stuff but uh and then mark is actually putting together a little collection of your prints from decibel magazine right actually it's all my music related stuff that i've done it's gonna be about uh, 70 pages metal the illustration of mark rudolph yeah this is pretty cool so you can get that on the website as well so if you're if you're into the artistic side of it'll be uh be uh, hitting the shelves uh november yeah there you go okay coming down the pike and we are putting together our collections of eclipse and requiems we're actually starting to get a a move on creating an anthology of that because we've kind of been an inspired. omnibus an omnibus yes yeah, it's going to be telephone book sized so but uh, 1990 definitely uh, a year not to forget and in our humblest opinions at this point uh, the second most crucial year in metal history so we hope you've enjoyed episode 99 we hope you uh, look forward to the episode 100 as much as we do and we've got entombed but life goes on memories remain from obituary and DSI day of darkness so for Requiem Metal Podcast, I'm Jason. I'm Mark. And uh, here's another 100 episodes. Oh, sentimental.
Yeah! 
Dead. 